Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. Batman's time in the new 52 has come to an end. So how do we wrap it up? Oh, it's another anthology. Welcome to a PhD Student Reads Episode 8, and this time we'll be taking a look at Batman Volume 10, Epilogue. It's the final volume of Scott Snyder's Batman run, and the final volume of the New 52 before DC Rebirth took hold. This volume was published by DC Comics, still shocking I know, and collects Batman issues 51-52, Batman Futures End number 1, Batman Annual number 4, and Batman Rebirth number 1. Like Volume 6, this is an anthology with a series of stories set throughout Skyder's entire tenure and somewhat beyond. So obviously there's a reasonably large creative team, so instead of going and listing them all here right now in one big long list, we're going to go story by story. I'll give my thoughts and feelings and probably say absolutely nothing of consequence while doing so. I will say that an anthology does seem like a strange way to wrap this up as a final volume, the ending of volume 9 with the status quo being restored and some nods to how things will continue. It was a pretty good ending, I thought, but, well, here we are. So we begin with Batman Future's End Remains, written by Ray Fawkes, with a story by Scott Snyder and Ray Fawkes, Art by Akko, with colours by SCFCO Pacencia, and letters by, and I'm probably going to screw this name up, Desi Cienti and Brad Anderson. I thought it was interesting to start the final volume with an issue not written by Snyder, even if he did have a hand in the story. And his name, he does get top billing on the cover, but as you'll see, he doesn't actually have much to do with this volume. But uh, as we've discussed on this podcast before, how the how the uh, billing works on the title on the front covers, I have absolutely no idea. People's names appear, disappear, no matter how much work they do on the uh, uh, pages in between. I should probably also say I haven't actually read Future's End, the Future's End event, but according to a quick Wikipedia search, it was an eleventh month weekly comic book series that involved Terry McGuinness, the Batman in Batman Beyond, travelling back in time to fend off a pending apocalypse. Sounds pretty cool, I won't lie. Maybe I'll uh, look into picking it up. Add that to my ever-growing stack next to my bed. But this is a one-issue tie-in, and having read it, I can't say I feel like I was uh, missing out any crucial information. So we start five years now, and boy, has life really gone downhill. But a uh, older... Battle-scarred Bruce Wayne is attempting to clone himself and continue the Batman legacy. I guess this is a continuation of the machine used in Volume 9, the one that was uh, used to give Amnesiac Bruce his memories back. Um, You don't actually see the machine, but I just 
presume it is. Um, however, the tests to produce these clones have uh, been unsuccessful. Bruce has a lot of screens here. Like, I know the Batcave, you know, is shown as that one big screen and then the little screens around the side, but this is obscene. Like, I don't... I'm sure cloning a man is, needs it requires a lot of information at once, but I guess the adage, too much is never enough, uh, came into play here. Anyway, a rather big Lebowski-looking Alfred is once again trying to convince Bruce to give up the cape and cowl and let the Bat family deal with the uh, continuing crime problems that Gotham experiences. But unsurprisingly, Bruce is having none of it, even though he's close to death and has a robotic spine implant. But there is one last hope for a material to make these clones function, but it's behind a lethal layer of security. Alas, Bruce suits up into what can only be described as a suit like a Warhammer 40k Space Marine armour set. It's sort of like grafted onto him. I was trying to think of a film that I just couldn't... Um, I was writing this, just couldn't... I can picture the film in my head, but I just have absolutely no idea what it is. But imagine, like, he's got the spine implanted in his back, and the bits of the suit are being sort of drilled, moulded into him. That must be very comfortable. Alas, he has 40 minutes to complete this vision before his body finally fails him. So it turns out this impenetrable fortress, ah, impenetrable fortress is none other than the Let's Lex. Oh my goodness, am I having a meltdown? Oh, it's too late to restart the recording. I guess this is all going in. Um, it turns out the impenetrable fortress is the LexCorp building. But Batman gets in with the help of some flash powers and a recording of Lex's voice. Nice and easy. Of course, it's not that easy, and Lex has set up a multitude of defences, from poison gas to giant robots. But this is a Batman comic book, and Batman gets through it all. And what does he find? Why, a clone of Superman, of course. Lex is just ongoing quest to uh, clone the Man of Steel. And when there's a clone of Superman, what is not far behind? Of course, it's Bizarro. A throwdown ensues, and uh, I want to call out to Placencia's colour work here. It's all nice and vibrant, and makes the panel seem more exciting. But long story short, Batman escapes with the information he needs, and uh, I guess continues to uh, work on his clones. So, if you remember in the previous episode, Volume 9 ended with a short story, 27, about the future generations of Batman and how they were all clones of Bruce Wayne. I mean, it doesn't necessarily say that here, but I imagine this is some sort of prequel to that story. And like all prequels, or most prequels perhaps, it isn't quite as good as the original, but I think everything done here is just slightly worse than everything that was done in 27. Yes, I realise it doesn't cover exactly the same ground. This is more, I guess, set up as to what the future generations of Batman will be. But, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not quite related to that, because if there were future clones of Batman, then Batman Beyond wouldn't be a thing. And this is a Batman Beyond event. Hmm, didn't write that in my script. That's an off-the-cuff thought here in the recording. But we're now... On to the second story, Madhouse, written by James Tidian IV, with art by Roge, Antonio, colours by Dave McCaig, and Steve Wands is doing the letters. Yet again, Scott Snyder, even though he's got top billing. 
nothing to do with this story. It's set during uh, Bruce's amnesiac period, and him and Julie Madison have turned up to Wayne Manor as the deeds of the building are being given back to uh, the uh, young Wayne after its period of being used as Arkham Asylum. They meet up with Jerry Powers and Alfred inside, and she tells them that all the inmates have been uh, moved to new facilities, so it's uh, free to move in, and the last of these inmates were Clayface, Mr. Freeze, and the Riddler. But there's, of course, no need to worry, because they have definitely been removed from the building. There's no doubt about it. Um... So they make their way to an office and Alfred realises the room is slightly too small. And lo and behold, Clayface is actually the war. Uh, enter Clayface, Mr. Freeze and the Riddler. What a surprise. Uh, they are very upset with uh, Bruce Wayne and they want to play a game with him to get him to confess something. Answer the riddle, who are you? No, what are you? Goodness me, I've just read it. Um... Have they finally figured out that Bruce and Batman are one and the same? And how will an amnesiac Bruce that doesn't know he was Batman answer this question? Alfred, Jerry and Julia sucked into the floor and the game begins. Oh, the floor is made out of clay face. It wasn't just a, a magic floor. So Mr. Freeze is taking Bruce to the start of this game when the door flies open and a one-handed Alfred busts out and give the, gives the cold terror a shotgun blast to his glass dome. The pair make their way through the tunnels underneath the building into a small armoury. Bruce asks his butler if, there's, if he has any idea as to why the Riddler would be after him. Alfred, of course, lies, says he has no idea, and then looks all forlorn. I can't say I have the best social skills, but if someone told me no, and then pulled the face that Alfred does in this panel, I think even I could figure out that he was lying. But there's no time for that, as the room starts to cool and a giant wall of ice separates the pair. After being guided through the house by the Riddler and his friends, the two come face to face, and Bruce once again asks the Riddle, What are you? She's thinking, Batman? But that's not the answer! It's crazy! And I liked this, because obviously you expect some sort of Batman reveal, but this whole story is very much Bruce-focused. Uh, then you get... Then I had two pages where the lettering ink was partly rubbed off, which was a bit annoying. Luckily it was just two pages, so I got to the page, oh no, please don't let the entire volume be like this. It was not. So, good for me. I presume you probably don't have that issue. I don't know if it was a volume printing-wide issue. Probably not. It's probably me getting something on it whilst I'm carrying it around in my bag. Anyway, that's beside the point and has literally nothing to do with anyone listening to this podcast. Uh, the, the three rogues want their revenge on Bruce for funding the Cape Crusader, not being the Cape Crusader, and how, because of Batman, they have ended up in their current predicament, battered, bruised, and in a manner being used as an asylum. But they are upset because Amnesiac Bruce has basically been given a clean slate by having all his trauma wiped away, so they plan on reinstating this trauma by killing Alfred, Jerry and Julie with the same make and model of gun that killed the Waynes. Um, yeah, because that is a very necessary detail. Uh, but a shotgun blast and a falling chandelier later and the rogues are stopped and are finally on their way to the incarceration in which they belong. As I said earlier, I did like this issue. I like the focus on the aspects of Bruce's life, less of a focus on Batman, 
I mean, whilst it's a Riddler plan, there is somewhat of a logic to it if you don't know that Bruce is Batman. You know, he's the guy funding them, funding him, so it is somewhat his fault. As for the art, I thought it was fine. Nothing to write home about. So of the two, this is the best by far. But next we get to Gotham Is, written by Scott Snyder, finally. Our pencils by Greg Capullo, inking done by Danny Mickey, FCO Placencio's on colours, and Steve Wands is acting as the letterer. So we're halfway through, and finally we get the core team of creators that have guided us through eight volumes and a bit, I guess, because six was also an anthology. Anyway, Gotham Is is a column that has come up in Scott Snyder's Batman run before. It's a column in which people write in to the Gotham Gazette uh, and finish a sentence of Gotham is, and then for example, Gotham is an awful city and I don't know why anybody lives there would be something I might write. It must be cheap because the crime there is through the roof. And it's not just like normal petty crime, is it? It's astronomical city-ending crime every month. Outrageous. Anyway, it's set some point after the events of Volume 9. You know this because Jim's the Commissioner. There's a brief glimpse of the Joker amnesiac. So I guess Jack Napier, we're going with that. This one's never actually given a name. And Alfred has got two hands again. Is it his, his uh, own hand? Bruce makes a quip. I guess we'll never know because the new 52 is a, at an end. Bruce is suited up and is going to begin his patrol around Gotham, but before he leaves, he must decide what sort of camo the Batmobile has. Now, not just as, like, I don't know, military camo, Arctic camo. It's more some sort of light show, I guess, maybe, that makes the Batmobile look different. It looks like a sedan or a pickup. Now, I understand that comics, especially superhero comics, are fanciful, this was a bit much for me. I mean, what sort of purpose would this have? I, I, yeah, I guess undercover. But then you ask the question, can't Bruce just have a normal car fitted with some gadgets like Bond rather than a car that can change its appearance? I don't know. I, I guess not. But regardless of this, he takes the Batmobile out as it is because that seems to be what he always does. I think everyone knows what the Batmobile looks like, no? Don't they? I guess, well, maybe. Then there's a rumble, and Gotham City experiences a blackout. It's going to take the Bat computer an hour to figure out the cause, so in the meantime, Batman starts its own, his own search. And let me tell you, boy, can he get a lot done in 60 minutes. Puts me to shame. It takes me ages to make these terrible podcasts, and he can do all... He, he, in 60 minutes, he goes from Arkham... He goes to Arkham Asylum to confront Freeze, Bane, Croc, Poison Ivy and the Riddler to see if they're the cause. He infiltrates the Court of Owls dressed as a buxom woman to see if they're the cause. He spies on Penguin and Co in the Iceberg Lounge to see if they're the cause. He uh, catches a glimpse of the amnesiac Joker, Jack Napier character. It's not him. And then he tracks down the guy who writes the Gotham Is column. As he has a criminal past and just happens to live near the epicentre of the blackout. So it turns out this guy used to be a member of the Whisperer gang. Now this isn't a Walking Dead crossover. 
well, they're the Whisperers, this is obviously very different. And they made a brief appearance back in Volume 1 when Batman was trying to track down the Court of Owls. So it turns out Arthur has run in with the Cape Crusader. He turned his life around, and so have many people in Gotham, thanks to Batman's influence. So the story ends with a reveal that the blackout was, surprisingly for Gotham, caused by a natural phenomenon. But Batman remains ever vigilant, watching the city that he loves. Now this issue is my favourite of the uh, entire volume. Spoilers, I guess, for the other two. I don't like them. The other, the other two, the other few. I just don't like them as much. The mystery of what was causing the blackout, the whistle-stop tour of Batman's rogues, and the uplifting ending, especially for a Batman comic. It's all. I thought it all came together. And I guess it's just nice to see the team that brought us nine. I've written nine here, but that's not true. It's eight because again, volume six was an anthology. I said that earlier. Um, of Batman stories back together for one last time. We then get the list, the last of the new 52 stories, written by James Tinian IV, art by Riley Rosmo, with additional inking by Brian Level, Steve Wands is the letterer, and Ivelyn Pacencia and Jordan, bleh, Jordan Boyd are doing the colours. I am so sorry, dear listener. I do not know what is happening to my power of speech. Maybe I need a drink. Anyway, first and foremost, I want to talk about the art. So it clearly isn't bad. This isn't like me trying to draw a Batman comic. But it just didn't gel with me. People's faces look weird and somewhat blank at times. Leslie Tompkins' hair looks like it's got a whole can of hairspray in it. And there's a panel where Batman looks agape, where he's supposed to be saying something serious and sort of affirmative. At least that's the way I interpreted the panel. Maybe maybe he is agape, but I don't know. Just didn't. I'm sure other people didn't have these issues, and you know, more power to you. That was that's what makes discussion fun. But yeah, sorry, Mr. Rosmo, just didn't do it for me. Anyway, the story begins two weeks after the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne, and Doctor Leslie Tompkins has shown up to Wayne Manor to help the young Master Wayne deal with his new trauma. She's given him a notebook to write down ideas on how he can move on with his life. A list, so to speak. And so begins glimpses of Bruce's training into becoming the Batman and how that ties into things he's written down in the list. So we've got some martial arts, some skydiving, and standing in a freezing cold waterfall. Uh, we then cut back to the present day in which a very interestingly dressed new villain is on the scene, Crypsis, having the powers to teleport and phase through objects by his special suit. He's uh, broken into a safety deposit box vault in an attempt to steal Bruce Wayne's biggest secret because he is convinced it'll be worth a fortune. Batman arrives to stop him, uh, but the uh, the villain, the fanciful villain, uh, manages to escape via his phasing abilities. Now, I know I just ragged on the art, but I do like Batman's look here. Just, you know, not to be entirely negative. I do like Batman's look. Anyway, cue a motorcycle Batmobile chase and Batman slingshotting himself from the front of the car, which I'll admit is kind of cool. We then get a two-page rooftop fight, and of course, Batman obviously wins. This is a Batman comic book. 
We then cut back to childhood Bruce Wayne yelling at Alfred for writing something in his list book. Something non-self-destructive, as Alfred points out. Another comment about the art. I guess I keep bringing it up. Childhood Bruce here looks like a doll has come to life. What was that film that came out recently? I think I saw a trailer. Not Chucky, but imagine like like a porcelain Chucky. That's sort of what Bruce looks like here. Back in the present day, and it turns out what was in the safety deposit box was not anything valuable, but lo and behold, it was the book, The List. And it's got the page Bruce tore out, uh, with Alfred's edition reattached. So what did Alfred write all those years prior? Remember that your parents will always be proud of you. Another happy ending, and the end of the new 52 Batman run. We then get a couple of variant covers, which are okay. Nothing nothing special there. Again, I don't know, these last few volumes in their variant covers haven't been haven't been great. But we then get a new beginning. It's Batman Rebirth number one, written by Scott Snyder, the old guard, and the man who would be taking over from him, Tom King, with art by Mikhail Janin, colours by June Chung, and letters by Darren Bennett. It's Monday. It's spring, and we begin in Wayne Manor, and Duke Thomas has shown up to take up the offer Bruce presented him. So I haven't actually read any DC since DC Rebirth began, so I'm not quite sure how it works, because obviously this offer happened at the end of Volume 9. So is it a continuation of some new 52 stories? Are they picking and choosing? Because I'll say it now. So when Volume 1 of the New 52 began, it was very introductory. It was like, here's Bruce Wayne, here's Dick Grayson, here's Damien, here's Tim, here's all our alter egos. Like, you know, setting setting the stage for someone to read that doesn't know anything about Batman. Whereas this, it is sort of presumed you know who everybody is. Like, Duke isn't really introduced. The fact that his parents were infected with the Joker toxin back in Endgame, that is brought up with no real reference. I think they even use the same panel. And is this the new... Is is DC Rebirth the new 52-2? I don't know. I guess I should read some new new DC comics rather than having a podcast focused on books that everyone read ages ago. Tom King doesn't even write Batman anymore. But that's a story for another time. Anyway, Bruce isn't in, as Batman is having a showdown with Calendar Man, who is planning on releasing some toxic spores into Gotham's air. But by sending an electrical charge between the two ears of the cow... Batman neutralises the spores whilst also giving himself a bit of a shock. The day is saved. Sidebar again here. Bruce clearly thinks of everything. What possible use could an electric charge between the ears possibly have? Well, clearly spore neutralisation. But why is that an inbuilt function? In case you haven't read it and you can't quite picture what it looks like, imagine, like, you know, those cattle prods that gang people sometimes use in movies where the electric there's you know an electric bolt between the two ends of the prod it looks exactly like that obviously it's on batman's head 
So he's not using that to shock anybody, is he? Does Batman headbutt people? Are people coming from above? I don't... Yeah. I don't know. But it's neutralised the spores, so hooray, hooray. It's Tuesday. It's summer, and Bruce is hanging off the side of Wayne Tower whilst having a chat with Lucas Fox about finances. Now, back to my thing about DC Rebirth. Here, it seems as though Lucius doesn't know Bruce is Batman. Maybe I've misinterpreted these few pages. So is that not carried over? I don't... I don't know. I'll stop talking about it now. I look like a fool talking about something I don't quite understand. It's Wednesday. It's four, and Calendar Man is now looking old, which is worrisome to the Cape Crusader. See, ages according to the seasons. It's Wednesday, and three seasons have already passed. And there must be there must be some sort of weather machine out there, and this weather machine must be linked to more lethal spores. Duke Thomas is also there, and he's wondering why. He doesn't want to be Batman's Robin. He's fine being his own Robin. But Bruce doesn't want a new Robin. He wants something new, something a lot more yellow. It's a signal. They don't say it's a signal. But they show the suit, though. I do like the signal suit. I won't lie. It's Thursday. It's winter. And Batman is diving into a freezing lake in which, he, in which the hidden store are held. He knows he can hold his body for four minutes. Yeah, hold his body. He knows his body can hold a total of four minutes of air, and six minutes later, he still hasn't come up. Duke is screaming into the in intercom, Bruce, come up! Don't forget forget about the spores! But there's an explosion, the machine is destroyed, Gotham is saved, yet again. It's Friday, it's spring again, and Calendar Man has hatched out of his own skin, looking all young and fresh. Duke and Bruce are training by kicking a tree, and Alfred is peeling an avocado. He sees the two training and drops the avocado into the cave below. Now, I know the Waynes are rich, but this must be a sign of how the other other side live. Do they not, does he not know how expensive avocados are? But there we go. That's it. The final volume of Scott Snyder's Batman run, even though he didn't do much writing here. One and a bit. Volume, one of the bit issues, I guess. Now, I would say it's better than Volume 6, the other anthology. This one does link in more with the plot at the time. Um, I know Volume 6 introduced the guy that then turned out to be the Joker, but I guess that was the only really important thing there. And then, yeah, I just like this one more. But there's something about the format that just doesn't quite work for me. I imagine, arguably, for Batman it should, like a case of the week sort of thing. But I guess in 22 pages, you're not getting much of a case. It's all wrapped up pretty quickly. I don't know. Anyway, there's also no panel of the show this episode either. Whilst I didn't like some of the art, I also, none of the art stood out to me in a uh, particularly amazing way, I guess. So, uh, I guess that's a bit of a downer to end on. Uh, so, what's next? Well, it's up to you, dear listener. So, by the time this is published, there should be a poll on uh, Twitter that has a few days left. That's at PhD Reads, capital P, capital R, where you can vote on a selection of books 
and uh, the winning one is what I will cover next. I haven't quite decided on what those books will be. One will probably be Hawkeye, maybe Jinx by Brian Michael Bendis, and maybe something else. Uh, so it'll be one of three. Um, as we are at the end of a run, I just want to thank anyone that's stuck with this appalling show this entire time through all the times when my mic wasn't working all the times when the audio cuts out all the ums and ahs and just terrible editing i just thank you um and if you really 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 like this show you can support it by clicking on the link in the description or visiting shows.acast.com slash phd dash student dash reads and clicking on the support link at the bottom that's it episode eight batman volume 10 epilogue um maybe i should end by ranking the volumes i can't really remember them all top of my head i will say the court of owls rightly so is the best that's, you know, everyone loves the Court of Owls these days. They're making Gotham Knights is supposed to be about the Court of Owls in some aspects. You know, they become, they were, in, they were in, what was it, the Fox show Gotham for a bit. You know, they've become quite an established part of the Gotham mythos. So volumes one and two, if you have never read Batman, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time ever, oh, Batman volume 10. I'd pick up volumes 1 and 2, maybe volumes 6 and 10, just for tastes of different flavours of Batman, perhaps. The ones with the Joker in, they're good. I don't know, I think I said in the episode before, I didn't really like Zero Year, so maybe not that, but, you know. Each to their own. The The Snyder Run has been good, there's no major misstep the story doesn't completely go off the rails at any point so if you wanted a big batman run to chew through during this uh quarantine time yeah go with that i'd say so there we go there's and that's a more uplifting end if you want batman to read the snyder run is a good shout thank you for listening this has been the phd student reads goodbye <laughs>